are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And as with every episode, we start with this one saying that the intended audience are newcomers to pharmacy informatics. So last time we talked about patient identifiers and kind of like the um, the ideal situation for the best patient identifier or personal identifier. And that was, you know, the attributes of being unique, being ubiquitous, unchanging, uncontroversial, uncomplicated, and inexpensive. So today we're going to be talking about some of the existing patient identifiers that are already out there. And I guess like a little bit into like where they kind of fall into the ideal patient identifier. So the first thing that you kind of like think of when you think of identifier is the social security number. So the social security number has actually been a candidate as the unique patient identifier, like the ideal one, because it does have, you know, uniqueness, ubiquitous, it is unchanging, and most adults can actually recite it from memory, so it's not complicated, and uh, it would not require any kind of additional infrastructure to implement. So low maintenance, right? Low maintenance cost and no implementation costs. Now, the weird part about it is that in reality, there are situations where uh, people may have more than one social security number for whatever reason, or they may share it with someone else, or, you know, people don't even qualify for having a social security number. So the social security number really isn't uh, available for everybody in the country. And when you want to talk about controversy, the social security number, oh my gosh, it was started off just as a way to identify people in the social security program, but now it's being used by, uh, you know, for everything, like your credit score, your uh, your full identity, people stealing social security numbers to steal people's identity because everything is tied to it. So there's a lot of controversy in that, in which, remember, one of the ideal patient identifiers is supposed to be uncontroversial. So if you kind of link your health records to your social security number, it really brings into like that one identifier is being used for everything. So that's all your government stuff. That's your IRS stuff. That's your credit, your employment. So it becomes really, really easy for someone to steal the complete identity, including the health records of a person by stealing their social. The next type of uh, identifier is the biometric identifier. So this is kind of like anything to do with your biology. So voice recognition, the shape of your face for camera identification, even fingerprints for pixels machines. We use fingerprints sometimes. And it's it's also unique, ubiquitous, and relatively unchanging. So in some of the um, missions that are still developing, they actually don't really use this that much because there's concerns with privacy and maybe law enforcement using that kind of information for identifying people. And in addition for biometric type of identifiers, it doesn't really account for the variability sometimes because like let's say you're looking at uh, someone's iris right someone's eye there's sometimes a little bit of variability due to age or due to environment or even like if they have an eye disease right that changes their eye or if they're stressed and the iris is actually a little bit smaller or more open or you know all those things can vary with uh, different factors and also the sensor calibration for things that are measuring biometrics can also change across different systems because maybe they're not calibrated so that becomes an issue as well. Then you have something called the Voluntary Universal Healthcare Identifier. So the ASTM, which is the American Society for Testing and Materials, they established two of these standards. One of them is called the E1714. The other one is called the E2553, which specified the uh, kind of like the architecture and implementation of a universal healthcare identifier. But because of like some hesitance, it was never really 
established as a government-facilitated national uh, identifier. So there was a proposal for something called the Voluntary Universal Health Identifier, and this would be like from a not-for-profit or a government-private partnership. So it would alleviate any concerns about like maybe having the central government manage that data. So it's just like not-for-profit, and it's a private company doing it. Um, So patients have more control by opting in or opting out, so because it's a voluntary thing. And the thing about this is that if people opt in to use it, they will get issued an identifier that will only be used for healthcare stuff. So it wouldn't be tied to anything else like how a social security number would be. And the other thing too is that they can do something called a PVID. So the patient can request something called a private voluntary identifier. So they can choose specifically which providers they want to share their information to. So you can see that the the pro of this is that they get this identifier that you know, will only be limited to healthcare information. But the the drawback is there's that PVID, which is they voluntarily choose which providers to send it to. So they may not understand what things from one provider might be relevant for another provider. So they are selecting who they to share which part of their record to. And if they don't share everything, then it may be um, detrimental to the care that they receive. So then we can also talk about international unique patient identifiers. I won't go into much detail here, but there's a lot of different countries in Europe that try implementing this, several other countries as well. If you kind of just Google it, you'll find out um, some of the, the use cases for this and then some of the implementations they've done. And they've always had some kind of issue when they were doing it. So th- right now, you know, there really isn't no single identifier that um, meets all the ideal attributes that's universal for everywhere. So, you know, the promise of having a universal personal identifier, it sounds great, but it's just very difficult to do. And one of the things that people can actually use to mitigate that is client registries, which I'm not going to talk about on today's episode, but in a future episode, I will go over a little bit more about what client registries are and how that can help with the whole unique patient identifier issue. Alright, if you like our show, please share with your friends, or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, and you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy and me and remember technology is the tool patient care is the goal